In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming. Everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. We're going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Amigos, welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorado Springs. Where are you from? <laughs> Duarte, California. Hey, actually, same. Um, where's you, Duarte, Blaine? You were born in Duarte? Do you not know this? No. Are you kidding me? How do you not know the history of your older brother's <laughs> life from start to finish? I wasn't there. It's the most important thing, I thought. Yeah. So what'd you major in again? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were both born in Duarte, which wow. is right there between Azusa and Arcadia and Monrovia. Yeah, nestled between the kind of uh, Loma Lindas and Blankington beaches of Los Angeles, California, man. Yeah, far away from the beach now, getting further and further away. <laughs> yeah, getting further the, with, every, <laughs> with every car. I thought the beach was going to be closer. Oh, you mean like people. <laughs> no, no, I mean like <laughs> yeah. time. It's uh, all relative. But yeah, right there between, uh, gosh, the strip mall and where the concrete turns into a dirt lot. There was the one hospital. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to have babies. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. And that's Sam, and I'm Blaine. And obviously, you're listening to the Ensigns podcast because we're already off and rambling. We wander like a the lost sheep, donkey with one short leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> like a lost sheep, <laughs> like one of God's own beautiful, beautiful white labs. I just like to think that I'm the one he's coming for. You know. Not the one who's already been found. and I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> so I don't relate to the older uh, prodigal son story at all. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're all both brothers, so there's at least that. We're all both brothers? Uh, yeah, for sure. Is that like something you got inside a fortune cookie? <laughs> we are all both, both brothers. brothers. Like, mm. Tiny subtext in the prodigal son story. Lucky yes. numbers 2, 14, 75, and 0. Still haven't won a lottery thing. Weird. <laughs> On a recent podcast, we talked about uh, how anxiety-inducing this moment is for me. Oh, really? And I how? That out. <laughs> and you, I, that was then. This is now. I feel good now. Good. And I said on that podcast that my my typical inclination is to go academic. Try to separate the head and the heart. Yes. Have the foolproof armor so that you can win the battle against your opponent. Yes. And we talked about in that episode how that's not an effective strategy. Uh, yeah. Not or for what? Because it, it feels effective in the, in the interactions. <laughs> right. It's in terms of my end game. Yeah. Which is, you know, ultimately expressed in getting to both enjoy and be a part of bringing the restored reign of Jesus on the earth. In the short term, it looks like 
I want to be more joyful. Yeah. I want my kids to have a dad who's more fun to be around. I want to enjoy interacting with other human beings. Yeah. I want my family to see in me that reality is not just hard, it's really fun. Uh, and I, I, remember I joked to you, I had been really productive. This was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I had a really productive morning yesterday morning. I get in the car, I'm like, man, I had such a productive morning. Am I going to be more fun to be around tonight? Probably not. Uh, do I love God more? I don't think so. <laughs> said, uh, do I feel any better right now? No. Yeah, do I feel any better? <laughs> I have been so productive and I feel like crap. Oh, man. Like, yeah. You could swing the other way and just start day drinking at 8 a.m. <laughs> Which would also, that would be a kind of strategy, but in terms of what you wanted to do, more or less effective. So let's go with less. <laughs> and so, you know, it went, when I want to become more loving, when I want to become more joyful, separating, you know, the head and the heart is not a good way to get there. Because I have to bring my heart along. It turns out, unfortunately, which is uh, is not easy to do. Nevertheless, or maybe this transition, in spite of because <laughs> so so, how do we fit in good kind of higher order information, right? Uh oh. This sounds like we're going into another Anson's college class. Sort of like, you know, knowledge puffs up, love builds up, this thing that people know that Paul said, uh, a guy who was clearly not excluding or uh, denouncing good information because he was himself so well-trained. He's pointed out like, maybe be careful because when you veer towards information, it's easy to uh, lose touch with the people around you. For me, the more information I have, the harder I find it to love people. Hmm. Which um, strikes me as being particularly difficult for you. (laughs) So you've got a little bit of information rattling around up there. (laughs) Some. Who's, I don't know, the most influential philosopher of the last hundred years? Oh, Of the last hundred years? Yeah. Probably Michel Foucault. Okay, so you have a lot of information rattling around up there. How's loving people going? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, pro-ignorance over here, folks. <laughs> Bro? Uh, you walk into a cigar shop. Yes. And your first time there is totally disorienting. Right, because the people running the cigar shop are the best anti-smoking ads ever created. <laughs> they're missing teeth, their goatees are stained, and they're saying that what you just picked is their favorite thing ever, and it makes me want to run. <laughs> you're, you're like, so wait, I'm saying, correlation does not imply causation, but I, you're saying that if I smoke this, then my teeth will turn that color? Hmm. I'm going to go take up yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna like, but you rub- walk into a cigar shop. For your first time, and it's disorienting. It's disorienting. This, you don't know. Going there's jargon. Yes. Well, I, I'm just going like, as you learn more, it can be hard to love novices. So mm. after you've spent a few years around guys who have a passion for cigars and where the leaves are grown and the different varietals of tobacco, et cetera, et cetera, and then a guy comes in and is like, uh, you know, I'm looking, do you guys sell Swisher Sweets? It's hard not to scoff at that guy unless you've made 
intentional choices uh, to love and process people. Yeah, and we've all been probably on both sides of this thing because we're we're all passionate about something in particular, um, whether it's cars, fishing, cigars, books, philosophy, whatever it is. You've been the expert somewhere and scoffed at somebody's lack of intelligence. But I was experiencing this on the other side the other day. Somebody busted out, I don't know, 75 tins of pipe tobacco and we're talking about the nuances and this one here and I had to go kill a guy in England to get the last piece of this frog morton and this one's been soaked in vinegar and I was like, um, I'm 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 going to go inside now because to push into this, I will have to feel like such a fool that I'd rather just go feel like an idiot somewhere else. Thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) We've been on both sides. Yeah. That's my experience in bike shops, craft coffee shops, fly fishing stores, auto parts stores, uh, churches. <laughs> yeah, 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 churches. <laughs> Depending. My kitchen. Oh, God. This I is know. <laughs> Hard I conversations. Know. Oh, man. Well, Oof. this is an important preamble because moments in time come from somewhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have not been having whatever it is you're having to have said that. Yeah, 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 Moments in time come from somewhere. Like last second, for instance. Now we're in this moment, Blaine. Yes, that would actually, <laughs> that would be the, wow, a heck of a rabbit trail. Uh, no, yes, like seconds. What? But let's talk about the concept that sorry, is right. underneath that you said is called perpetual novelty. Anyway, no, like, I know that many of our listeners love a podcast called This Cultural Moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Sayers, John Mark Comer, you know, it's a collaboration of uh, two very intelligent cultural observers who talk about the history of ideas, the history of trends to help you understand like what it is that's going on here. And two thumbs up. I no, it's it is awesome. a great podcast. I'm trying to think of what like our version would be. One person who can <laughs> understand cultural moments and one dum dum. <laughs> that is not our moment. No. No. <laughs> uh, also, when I listen to those guys, it's like, especially Mark Sayers, I'm like, dang, I need to go read more. Uh, <laughs> I feel like out of my depth. I feel like tobacco guy just pulled out his sweet folding box of glass jars of Rare tobaccos. Um, the great thing about one of the great things about that podcast is helping people to see like you step out the door and you go, your own culture is very hard to see. This is, you know, it's invisible. Most people who write about culture will first write about the fact that you don't see your own perception, you don't see the air that you breathe. So it's really hard to see with objectivity, what it is that's going on. But if you trace the history uh, and you can look at movements that are a little more distinct, a little less familiar, it can give you fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. I want to do just a little bit of that today and um, maybe to, to give you guys some more language for what it is that you are experiencing. Yeah. The stressful thing that I want to talk about in particular is why is it so hard to B 
believe mm-hmm. anything people say. Right? Right, because this is where, you know, we talked about feeling stuck in the middle, trapped between... Yeah, we talked about this a lot. ...violent parties. Yes. Un- of anything, right? Not necessarily even political, just opinions about bread and gluten. Yes, and one of the things that makes that position so, so, so hard to change and so uncomfortable mm-hmm. is that when you're talking to a person who's in a very entrenched party, it's very hard to accept the things that they are saying. Yeah. Why? I don't know why, but I know that it's hard to accept them. Remember, I'm the cultural dum-dum. <laughs> you hear that? Ask is a hypothetical question asked oh, to the sky. Gotcha. Yeah. And so this is the feature that I want to point out today that I think will be helpful. It will give you more language for what you're experiencing is the collapse of testimony. Yeah. Which may, it's a great podcast title. I hope we end up using that one. <laughs> the collapse of testimony. I don't think anyone would listen to it. It'd be like, collapse? Cool. Testimony? Uh, is that like... When you're like in court and you you, have to like, oh, I just think of like the Christianese version of that. Like, oh, give your testimony. You know, it's like you're really cool. I got addicted to drugs, woke up under an underpass, met Jesus in the flesh, and I've been a Christian preaching ever since. Uh, And you're like, oh, I think I got to get more tattoos. I got to have a cool story to tell. It's kind of interesting because that uh, that iteration of testimony is is actually really helpful because a person doesn't say, "Do you want to hear my story?" they say, what's the difference between a story and a testimony? And uh, it's the way that their story validates the efficacy of the gospel, right? When you're, you're testifying mm. to the power of Jesus and it's visible in your story. So it's your story as evidence. Right. Now, so what you're saying is we're not accepting evidence from people, not not in regards to the gospel, but in general these days. Right. Which I can totally agree with. But like, give me some examples of they, somebody says, hmm, and you think, eh. Well, this actually, well, okay, I'll answer your question, give you some examples. This is everywhere. Yeah. Someone goes, oh man, you should not eat soy as a man. You know, I don't eat a lot of meat, so this comes up a lot. Because mm. soy has estrogen in it, right. and estrogen is bad for you know, the chemical processes of a, of a male body. I'm like... Yeah, I've heard, heard that a lot. Okay, but, you know, then you watch... You know, I remember watching the documentary Game Changers, mm-hmm. and they were trying to say the opposite. They were saying it's not actually estrogen, it actually blocks an estrogen receptor right, in the cell. different kinds of it's chemicals different. going on here. And I was like... So in those, it's like, someone's like, oh, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, okay. And then uh, like, I'm like, <laughs> how? But no, even before I get like oh, okay. contrasting, you know, I hear opposing counsel. I'm like, oh, why should I believe you? What? But that, that, that's a trained thing over time, right? Because in natural development of human beings, you begin understanding your world through observation and through shared language. Like mm-hmm. you, you do not begin with a level of criticism and skepticism that you're describing right now. You have to learn about danger and food and safety and attachment 
communally. And so you begin this lifelong journey where those are all really appropriate and good ways of understanding the world around you. Yes, and really intriguingly where tr- uh, the ability to trust the testimony of an adult is usually a life or death yeah, question. Right. Saber-toothed tigers, yeah, totally. you shouldn't get close to those. If you thought, eh, is that true? I mean, let's see, maybe it's like soy. That gene wouldn't last very long. You know, like, hey, hey, Ron, hey, Ronnie, stay out of the ocean there. There's an undertow at this beach. Be like, hey, uh, wait until that's cooked to touch it. It has germs on it. Okay? Right. Like, Actually, as an interesting place here, um, facial expressions. Like the ways that we are able to identify within milliseconds, joy, fear, terror, anger, these are actually also linked to your way of learning from others. Somebody takes a bite of something and they have a shock or pain expression on their face. Be a really good way of you learning through them. Maybe don't eat that. I know, because the first thing you ask is, what, ha- what is it? Right, like, and they start choking or they give a shock expression and something's hurtling behind you or rearing itself out of the bushes. It's really good to identify those in a really fast way. And oh, so like, there's, a, there's a whole slew here of reasons why we learn and see the world this way and that being a very good thing. Yeah, and let's look at even the more fundamental building blocks um, because, you know, of some weird experiments with cats that we talk about sometimes or <laughs> of like chill. I need like a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Like or, people listening, like playing experiments on cats, like that's messed nah, up. Not dude. me, other people, and you're not really allowed to do this anymore. Uh, so with like the Ferris wheel, yeah, the oh yeah, that was messed up. Um, or you know, like children that have experienced extreme negligence. It surprises me how much people have to be taught about the world, have to be taught about the substance of reality, mm-hmm. some total of what exists, and it is. The reaction to things, but it's also what things are there, you know? If you don't gaslight kids, it shapes their brain. It shapes their soul. And so kids develop so fast for how much they have to learn. Mm-hmm. I look at my one-year-old son, and I'm like, dang, there is so, 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 so much for you to get a hold of and as he's interacting with language and the world, uh, he has to get the basic questions answered. Like, uh, how do you know that a person's name is a person's name? How do you know, like, not final reality here, but issues of like, does everyone in your community call a tree a tree? Because that's going to be important later when you're having a conversation to be like, hey, walk over and wait under that tree. It would be hard if as a 12-year-old, uh, you had to go, what's a tree? Well, it's that over there. Are you? Is that a tree? Are you telling the truth? Because you're the first person who's mentioned this. Mm. And be like, and then you know, pull out and be like, no, here, look, in the dictionary, a tree, it's this kind of plant where the center of the stock turns into wood or something. And this is a picture, so someone else is testifying to what I'm telling you about a tree. So go wait over there. Well, that would be really exhausting for like, Navigating for you know for getting out of bed and getting in the car It'd be pretty inefficient. So be like, look at that tree, and then they look, and then they see a different thing. Look at that tree, and it was like, okay, so a tree is not the sky. A tree seemed to be that plant, but first you pointed at a pine tree, then you pointed at an elm tree, and it's like, okay, so a tree is a a, a, a category of thing, and you know, kids do this and they hold up a flower and they're like tree, and you're like, oh, that's a flower. 
Uh, right. <laughs> what is important to say here, we'll get to in a minute, is that we don't get the benefit of this experience most of the time right now. Mm. What we get most of the time is, is that a tree? Are you sure? Can you show me in a book? Is that a real book? Okay, I'm going to go talk to the author. Okay, show me a video of him writing it. Uh, I need so many validations before I will accept that a thing is real because it's not just that people don't tell the truth. It's that I distrust their ability to experience the world and their ability to interpret their experiences because I know both of those things are so plastic, so yeah. formable. Yeah. I I hate what you're describing because I completely understand. And we, we were we were alluding to this a little bit in a conversation we had several weeks ago, but this is really breaking down what I experience on a daily basis, on maybe an hourly basis in interactions with other people. Because you don't just have conversations that are devoid of opinions and facts and information. And, and it's just it's sort of like emotions. You don't walk up to somebody and say, glad to see you. Glad to see you. Disappointed today. Disappointed today. <laughs> Expecting for tomorrow. Expecting for a little bit tired. Tired. Feels warm to be with you. Warm to be with you. Sad to see you go. Sad to see you go. And that's not like, then you go. Like, if it was just that, I think we would still have this issue because you'd be like, well, I don't know what your sad means. And there's a little part of this where you, like, this already existed before this moment where we have to, like, constantly gauge another person's experience against sort of like an ultimate ruler because we are all trapped inside our own brains and our own bodies. And I can't actually know that when you experience something, I would experience it to the same degree. So we use, you know, scales of one to tens all the time. We use um, like the idea of pain. And when you see somebody hit their hand, they're going to respond probably very differently than you, even if you do the very same thing. And I remember this in a variety of ways. Um, actually, there was this really old episode of Scrubs TV show. Do you remember watching? You remember Scrubs. It was a thing. Yeah, was Scrubs Brown. is awesome. And they did an episode on pain that I thought was really interesting as they were talking about there's different ways that men and women express pain, that cultures express pain, that communities ex express pain. And, and there's just, you walk into a doctor's office and there's that scale with the faces, really, really happy to really, really sad. And it's, it's all subjective. And that, that's already existed, this sense of, how are you feeling today? Well, I am 10 out of 10 bad. You're like, okay, why? Like, well, I found out that this trip isn't going to happen. And there's somewhere in my brain that goes, okay, so you're being a little hyperbolic because I would consider 10 out of 10 bad, like my family dies in a car accident. And so I've internally scaled this person down to more like a six on this scale, but I'm still trying to find common ground. I'm still trying to find, when you meet, say X, I'm going to interpret it as Y, and then we're able to continue this interaction. So that's already existed. I would say I've watched that totally go out the wayside where you say, I'm having a 10 out of 10 bad day. And I sort of go, I don't know that you know what bad days are. Not, not only that you that's are it. on a scale somewhere, but like, I don't think we have the scale. I think the whole thing has been taken away. 
Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. If we were to, you know, outline a complete intellectual history here. Which we won't, which, for my sake. <laughs> which we won't. What you would notice is a trajectory and a momentum. You would notice for hundreds of years that people had less and less confidence in their ability to have real knowledge about the world. Mm. And that the speed at which different parts of the world and different groups of people came under scrutiny increases to the present day. This is a huge problem as a human being because the different dimensions of epistemology, and there's a lot. Like, you professional philosophers out there are going like, well, I mean, come on, there's, I don't know, phenomenalism, naive realism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the sort of in brief, you know, there's like, uh, there is authority and the ability, um, authority is a real viable, it's a legitimate epistemological strategy mm-hmm. where it's like, if you say, uh, I'm a doctor and high blood pressure is bad for you. And a different person says, um, I'm a mechanic and high blood pressure is bad for you. And you ask them both, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the doctor would have the kinds of experiences that you trusted more, which would be interesting. Uh, and they would say, they would fold in this uh, form of knowing called empiricism or scientific rationalism and go, well, because I've seen it happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would be like, great, I think I can trust you. The mechanic might say, my doctor told me. And uh, you would go away perhaps with the same level of confidence uh, but different levels of resolution that high blood pressure is bad for you. Um, Those are both good experiences uh, because trustworthy authority is hugely important. Uh, A little aside, because this keeps coming up, I mean, this is a thing that, you know, contributes to such a deep sense of orphanhood inside uh, the Protestant church, (laughs) which is like, uh, authority is not your friend. It will hide things from you. It will try to get things from you. It will abuse you. Thanks. So the only thing you can trust is your own ability to interpret the scriptures. You are your own priest. And it's like, uh, I know from my own life, it's really, really hard to rightly interpret all of the minutia of the Bible. I don't have the time. I don't have the qualifications. I don't have the background in ancient languages. So could one speculate that this current cultural moment is the fruits of a highly Protestant nation chasing individualism down to its roots? Uh, Can I make it even worse? Sure. I actually think that uh, Protestantism as we see it right now is part of, is a consequence is the religious expression of the nihilistic, individualistic, scientific, rationalist trajectory of past several hundred years. So, because you look there at... There are a lot of words in that sentence. 
Uh, but uh, it would be like tracking. Does it come from Protestantism? Like, no, I think Protestantism comes from being it. Infected. Okay. Uh, and you look okay. at you look at the timing of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not looking for someone to blame, by the way. I am uh, merely throwing out speculations on what you described as the wrestling with authority within Protestantism, which I grew up in and have walked in and felt that there's if you haven't felt existential terror at some point as a young man wrestling with where does authority end with yourself with the bible with that pastor with this new pastor because that pastor did some bad things and he's gone now like at, this, this yes <laughs> well it feels fragile okay so the point that i wanted to make was not having good authorities is a horrible experience mm-hmm. We live with that everywhere, right? In every field, uh, we feel like we can't trust authorities very much, right? And then uh, back to your doctor example, and then tying it into the soy example, when Susie was going to get her master's of nursing and then on to do her PhD, she was experiencing how many professionals in the same field had drastically conflicting information they were throwing at each other. Case in point, she was taking a class that was a focus for diabetics and communicating sugars and carbs. And the the person up front, the professional was throwing at them, a carb is a carb is a carb is a carb. They're all the same. It does not matter. We need to count these things. And Susie was sitting there scratching her head going like, "We we just had somebody else in here who was focusing more on the nutritionist side of things saying that the exact opposite. So we have authority figures with empirical evidence who have had the same amount of training, who have come to very different conclusions. And the effect is that we are all now without an authority figure. We're all now without an ultimate truth. Yes. Uh, And this contributes to the daily feeling of exhaustion that we all have. Uh, Because trusting authority, which is an epistemological strategy, it doesn't work. But empiricism or scientific rationalism is very problematic. <laughs> and suffice it to say, it does not work either, mostly because of this testimony issue and the inability to, to trust a person to look and see in a valid and objective way. So... What did you look at? How did you do your looking? What do you, like, this is more cognitive. This is more work, intellectual work, than any person right. can handle. Break that down to a, an example. Um, been reading a lot of papers lately, and papers and studies come under scrutiny based on what was your test group, how large was the size, how large was the control group, was this reviewed by your peers, is this repeatable, so just experiencing something and walking away with it as solid proof, that's, is that where some of the breakdown is for you? Like it's actually a very complicated process for empiricism to be trustworthy or taken for granted. You, you have a lot of testing that has to go on. Is that sort of what you're alluding to? Yes, and when I can't trust testimony and I can't trust authority. Then uh, you've sort of taken away the scaffolding. My life, yeah, it. my life gets exhausting. Like, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm looking at a gas relief medication for my son. Totally. And it's like, I have to go all the way back down to the basics of the building blocks because uh, 
I, you know, I can ask a few doctors, but I ultimately feel the existentialist fear of being like, you could all be wrong. How can I ethically make this decision? What should I do? And, and my motives are pfft, mixed. And there's a lot of fear involved as I'm finding the scientific papers, but they're using words, they're using medical jargon that I don't understand. And so it, w- it is like I've never heard the word tree and I have to do all the work to build the concept of tree. Cause so, you know, they're like, I'm, I'm going to use a basic one or make one up, you know, so. Wait, 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 no, just let me jump in here with this. Okay. We've, we've alluded to this in the past out of like, I want more empathy for understanding why we are all so skeptical right now and why you have this exhaustion and why you have to be like the only one who can be trusted because everybody else is lying. And like, we have actual evidence of this constantly. So back in 2016, NPR and others aired this article that enough time had passed to expose past research that the sugar industry had paid for research to point to fat as being the problem in our diets. So they had paid scientists to reveal research blaming something else for a cause than what the real problem was. And then enough time had to pass for that to be legally allowed to be revealed and it was 2016 that this wealth of information came up and it was, hey, everybody, sorry we've been lying to you for like maybe a whole lifetime for a oh lot of gosh. you. Um, that was actually not true and somehow legally allowed to be true because of protection and um, some really messed up ways of thinking about law. But now that we can talk about this, honestly, here are the facts. We will include this in the description below. But all I needed was one of these to happen for it to feel like the breakdown of trust on any level had happened. I would say we probably experienced more than just one of these events. Yes. The effect of this, the inability to trust people, feeling like people is really, are really un, not trustworthy, is intense hypervigilance, where you have to pay attention to the, the minutia of your life. The problem is that hypervigilance is linked with depression. Now, I learned that from a conversation with a police officer. But because we live in the times that we live in, I then went and found some, some scholarly papers and looked around. Oh, man, here's the title of just one from the Journal of Anxiety Disorders. An examination of the fear of bodily sensations and body hypervigilance as predictors of emotion regulation difficulties among individuals with a recent history of uncued panic. Attention processes in the maintenance and treatment of social phobia, hypervigilance, avoidance, and self-focused attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Re- regulatory focus and anxiety. Oh, like Fear is connected to anxiety. Hypervigilance is connected to anxiety. Anxiety is connected to depression. All of these, the, the hypervigilance is a really great word for when you are on high alert 
and you need to assess everything because you are not sure where is safe, what can be trusted, and that applies to physical safety, but also social safety, emotional safety, like all of these components. And so if you're describing a daily experience of I'm having this interaction, I'm having this interaction, and then this person's offering a fact, and this person's offering some an opinion, you are being hypervigilant because you cannot accept anything as it's being delivered. There, there has to be, like, there's more than the normal, this person said that they're a 10 out of 10 for a bad day, and is that totally accurate, or are they just being a little bit hyperbolic? It's now to this new extent of, I don't trust their experience of bad. I don't trust their experience of 10 out of 10. I don't, and so instead you are in this state that is really, yeah, interestingly predisposing you to ending up in higher states of anxiety and depression. Like, oh my gosh, horrible. Yes. I feel exhausted by the end of the day by some social interactions. We were at a gathering having interaction after interaction after interaction in which you have, hey, what's going on in your world? Hey, what do you think about this? Or did you see that thing? And we get to some point and somebody just threw out a fact. Oh, you know, those two things are like, they're basically the same. And I found myself having what is a normal experience these days, but would have been a very bizarre experience maybe 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I might have gone, oh, I didn't know that. Huh, no, tell me more. Whereas when it happened the other day, it was it was like a bird flying overhead. It so did not impact me in any way, shape, or form. I didn't even pause to think that it was maybe true. I just let it soar overhead because it was like, I don't, I don't know and I don't trust you because you're a person, right? So what do we do? This is going to be the hopeful turn because the important thing here is I don't have a method for you to learn, which is usually, in my experience, the recommendation is learn better meaning-making skills. Mm. But the underlying message there is because it really is up to you. And right. it'd be like... double down on that. Okay, so it's the Yikes. equivalent of a guy being like, I'm walking around with intense bodily fear mm-hmm. and going, I'm going to train you to use a pistol so that you can win all the fights that you'll probably inevitably get in. Right. Right. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, g- like, good meaning-making skills are important. And, and we do teach these to kids. We, we have to teach kids to identify the emotional experiences that correlate to someone telling them a lie. And we train kids to be able to point out shady behavior by helping them interpret their experience, and that's good. That's good meaning-making skills. That's good epistemology. You know, when you come away from a dinner and one of your kids or, or a friend that's in need of parenting in this area goes, oh, man, I feel weird. What was going on? They have the data, and then you kind of add the interpretation. But in so doing, you also teach them the method. Mm-hmm. All that matters. Mm-hmm. But the question here is, it's about safety. It's about the beginning of wisdom. And I'll just say, is Jesus and the world have radically different ideas about where knowledge begins. The world elevates the self and is therefore always going to put the scientific method at the center of 
good information. You learning, you being able to, to self-scrutinize, you being able to look at your own experience. But the unfortunate thing is that the end of that road is, oh, and by the way, you not being able to trust anything because mm-hmm. you're aware of your own fallibility. Eventually yourself, right? Yeah. The Bible has this line that most people know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The regard, the accurate regard, accurate positioning to yourself and God, that is the beginning of wisdom. That's an epistemology claim. That goes like, oh, do you want to uh, be able to interpret the world? Begin with your relationship with God. And you really can experience the relief of operating under the covering of the ultimate trustworthy authority, which is really, really important right now because the underlying issue is life and death. We talked about that at the beginning with riptides and uncooked meat and saber-toothed tigers. saber-toothed tigers being like, if I don't get it right, I'm going to die. Now, the nice thing about living in a healthy family is like, if your kids get it wrong, are they going to die? I hope not. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's probably the right answer too. But it's like, let me look at your life and go, no, because you protect them. And it's not totally up to them right. to do the right thing. Yes. They don't have that power. Right. It's meant to be like that in our life with God, where it's related, maybe we've said this before, to the biblical concept of iniquity of like the environmental consequences of your actions, which is like one of my great fears is knowing that I can't handle my life and just being left to the sad consequences of that reality. I'm like, Mm. God, it's not like that with you. Don't leave me just in the consequences of my inability to do the right thing. Like you come and fill my family, my work, my decision-making with your life instead. That's what gets to happen. And so the big recommendation here is do not double down on solipsism, on you can't trust everyone, on hypervigilance. It sucks to live in that world Mm -hmm. and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Instead, in a moment where everything is eroded, it's really interesting to go, uh... How do I get accurate political information? Mm. My recommendation is love God. (laughs) Mm. Because outside of loving God, you can't see anything rightly. So none of the information will be complete. I'm not going to say, well, consider uh, international news sources. Or, hey, I found this blog and this guy really gets it. All of that leads down the same road to meaninglessness. Mm. It's all about love God more. What are the practices that make you love God? Who are the people that make you love God? Like two real questions for you. What are the usual experiences that you usually come back from loving God more? That's the first question. And the second one is is simply, do you have a list in your mind of the people who after you've hung out with them, whether or not you talked about your life with God in that time, you come away loving God more. Mm. 
Yeah, this is. I'll answer those by way of this segue. This is going to be my my piece to push towards Blaine's piece. I think practicing awareness of what's happening. I often feel like I am just a reaction against what's happening, and that whatever I'm feeling is therefore accurate because it's just one plus one equals two. Um, somebody offers a fact, I dismiss it or feel irritated, and therefore I compound on that sense of isolation, hypervigilance, detachment, exhaustion, whatever it is. I would argue that we actually need to relearn what's going on, relearn to pay attention to what's going on because there's a series of events that are happening and I have an option in those moments to make those choices, to make those leaps. Oh, this person said this. Well, I don't trust anybody. Okay, that's a statement. That's a learned agreement. That's a learned way of seeing the world. And then you've got that, if I don't trust anybody, therefore I'm going to. That's a, You have all of these like little mini choices that are happening all the time. And so the Blaine's piece of like loving God, you, you actually, and we actually, and I actually have to relearn, I need to pay attention to what is going on inside my mind in these moments, what's going on inside my heart in these moments. Like literally pay attention, slow down, ask yourself why you're feeling that way. So to answer your question, the places I feel most alive, most connected to God are outside. They are nature. They are nature in springtime. My yard is exploding with lilacs right now. So I'm taking out the trash this morning and on the seven steps I take from the back door of my house over to the garage door, I'm just hit with this perfume of flowers and lilacs and the spring smells. And I, it's like being smacked in the face by love by God, by rest, by comfort. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I love this season so much. I, I do not get the same experience all year long. The flowers are not going to last that long. But as much as I can remember, oh, okay, I do this. This pulls me out of my automatic pacing throughout the day. And for the relationship question, um, I... I would say that the relationships where I can share honestly about my experience of a day and then zoom out to a week, to a month, that allow me to process what is the knee-jerk experience. Because if I'm not naming it, again, if I'm not paying attention and if I'm not processing it, it's just going to stay there, almost like the foam on top of the coffee. And I'm not actually going to get to the espresso, I'm not going to get to the meat of the drink. I'm going to keep hitting that unless I actually engage it. I find whether or not we talk about God, if I have enough of a conversation with a person like that, and there's a few places that feel safe, then I actually get back to the meat of what's below the surface. And that's where my my relationship with God is. That's where it's on the line. That's where the rubber meets the road. But that's also where he is wanting to interact rather than the I'm really exhausted. I got no margin. I'm really tired. I can't believe people keep saying this and I can't believe people keep saying that. I don't think Jesus is hanging out there. Mm. I think he's saying, he's waiting for me to get that out of the way or be willing to want to push through it and go, oh, I'm exhausted. Why? Oh, I feel isolated even though regulations are opening back up and I'm seeing people. Why? Why am I feeling like I'm doubling down on this sense of not being able to trust. So those are some of my answers for me. And and that key for me of paying attention and not being on autopilot, 
I can autopilot my way right into a brick wall. That's so good. Mine feel very similar of where is wonder, where is play. Those are both outside. I feel like I have some really funny recommends right now, but I would go. My most recent one was at the zoo. (laughs) And all of a sudden, like the variety, the glory, the beauty, it just came together and hit me. I was having a great time. I was like, Jesus, your world is so amazing. And, you know, normally it would be like mountain biking or something. But your recommendation of pay attention to, because I'm also going, oh, yeah, I'll, it's important for me to pay attention to the things that are working in a season and not to default to things that are not working in that season. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are seasons for me when cooking is awesome. It's this awesome time with God. And then seasons where I haven't realized that like, it's actually mostly frustrating me, but I haven't substituted something. Right, it to used make to work. It's not working anymore. Enjoyable. And then a recent experience of so bumped into a guy out in the world. We started having a conversation, and it was one of the places where the rubber meets the road for me here. And we were talking about the state of the world. We were talking about American politics. We were talking about uh, culture. And I really thought that uh, he was wrong. (laughs) Uh, And I could feel the mixture of things happening in me of the desire to argue, underneath the desire to argue, a level of despair at because of the hypervigilance and the, oh my gosh, where is the world? But in this one case, I had just been thinking about this and just come out of a conversation with my wife and a time with God that really foregrounded that also not all facts matter in the same way. And so I'm talking to this guy and all, all the reality suddenly came through where it went, I don't know that you're right, but I do know that you, like, this sounds funny, but I do know that you are the beloved son of God. I know that your heart is the prize. I know that Jesus does not care about a lot of the chaff that's just in the way as distraction in the air. And in realizing that, the relief that came and the ability to have that conversation was really hopeful because it's not the norm for me. It's like... uh I can feel intense about reality. I can feel intense about qualities of varying qualities of information, et cetera, et cetera. And that stuff can really spin me out. But to have this experience that pushes me in the direction of, oh my gosh, there is a way to live right now. It's the same as the old way to live of uh, like born out of being the friend and the student of Jesus. But when I do that, wow, I can actually experience the same environment differently while having the confidence that I would like about the world. It's just confidence in the major strokes of history. (laughs) What is God doing? Who does that make people? What does that make the most important thing? Et cetera, et cetera. And that can be enough. 